You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. a temple for the Lord and dedicated to the Lord. It was temporary. 70 AD, the Romans came in, ransacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and not one stone was left on another. It suggests more than security. It suggests, just like the disciples in the earthly temple of Herod that he built for God. Well, he built it for political reasons, but it was dedicated to the Lord. And here's the word I came up with as I thought deeper about it. It suggests magnificence. Why did God desire a temple built by human hands? As we look forward in today's message to the paradise that God will establish for those who love and follow Him, Pastor Danny draws your attention back to the glorious temple built in Jerusalem. It was a beautiful work, while flawed and doomed to destruction, that was designed to reflect the magnificence of the God that it honored. In the same way, you and I and our earthly acts of worship are temporary, but they bring glory and joy to God's heart. Now, here's Pastor Danny in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, as he begins his message, Paradise. Revelation chapter 21, deja vu. You probably already found the place. Revelation 21. And once you find it, I want you to go to a couple other scriptures briefly with me. The first is 2 Peter chapter 3. Just to the left of Revelation, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 in 2 Peter 3. Peter writes and he says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Then he begins to share what the prophets have predicted. And the red letter line that runs through the Bible that the prophets predicted is a Messiah. His name is Jesus. But he doesn't just talk about that. He talks about creation. He talks about the flood of Noah's day and God judging the world of that time. It was a universal judgment. And then he says in verse seven, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. We've read about that in our study of the book of the Revelation. As a matter of fact, the majority of the book of the Revelation is heavy, negative judgment kind of stuff. Peter, verse 13, chapter 3, but in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. I'm thankful we're at that point in our study of Revelation. We'll be there in a minute. Peter, though, says in verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, 
Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Wholesome thinking. Not thinking about just this life, but the one to come. Now, we are going to Revelation 21, but I want you to find one other scripture before we land there. 2 Corinthians. Keep going to the left of 2 Peter. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul also encourages believers about the future. And he's a little more specific in mentioning challenges in this life. For example, he says in verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we have this treasure, the treasure of our faith in Christ and our future hope. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Every birthday, you'll realize it more acutely that you live in a jar of clay. Verse 8, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And he sums all this encouragement up, verse 16. Therefore, because of this truth, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, you'll be okay for a while, but at some point your age will catch up with you and you're going to start going downhill. And you're going to look in the mirror, and if you're honest with yourself, you're going to say, you are old, dude. (laughs) Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed Day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them on. Oh, this is what I want you to see now before we go to Revelation 21, verse 18. In the context of what I've read and mentioned, 2 Peter, 2 Corinthians. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In Revelation 21, what is unseen, but is very, very real, just as real as us being here physically this morning, is what we have the privilege of looking at and looking forward to. John has already seen the new heaven and the new earth. The first heaven, first earth passed away. We pick it up in verse 6. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. That's God. To him who is thirsty, I'll give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I'll be his God. He'll be my son. Now, look at me just a minute. I wanted to skip verse 8. I know you're looking at it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I wanted to skip it because it's really the only negative verse in the whole text. But if I would have skipped it, my wife would have found out and she would have said to me all afternoon, you say you're an expository preacher and you skipped a verse. And so we have to read it. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, Those who practice magic arts, 
the idolaters, and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, we dealt with that at the end of chapter 20. It's called the great white throne judgment. And all whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life are cast into the lake of fire. So you have a reminder of that here in verse 8, but it's not the majority of the text. So verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, and I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. What a change of duty from this angel being one of the ones who is pouring out the wrath of God during the great tribulation to now be able to show John uh, the bride, the wife of the lamb. But what's interesting is, as you begin to read it, sometimes you, you look at it and you go, wait a minute, where's the bride? Because verse 10 says, he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city. Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Paul the Apostle mentions the heavenly Jerusalem, a real place. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So 12 gates, each gate has the name of one of the tribes of Israel, 12 foundations, each foundation, one of the names of the 12 Apostles. Now, let me let you in on something. Some suggest that what we're reading here is metaphorical, that this is not a literal city. They use um, verses like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And they suggest, based on that verse, this is not a real city, This is the people of God, the bride. I disagree. Even though when you read through the text, as we will, you know, you could go, wait a minute, I thought he was going to show John the bride, but where's the bride? Well, you got to read it in the context, the context. Let me help you with the context. Back in verse three of chapter 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And in the context of the text, this is a city, but it is a city with people living in it. That's clear. There's nothing to suggest it's metaphorical. It's a real place. 12 gates, 12 foundations. Why on each gate? the name of one of the tribes of Israel. Listen, we have a Jewish Messiah. He is an Israeli. God chose Israel. And through Israel, he sent the world a Messiah. Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John's Gospel chapter 4. 
He say, you Samaritans say you should worship here, and you, you, don't, you don't really know the truth. Salvation is of the Jews. That wasn't a prideful thing. It was just the truth. We have a Jewish Messiah. So we enter through Israel, the 12 foundation, the apostles. If you're a note taker, you can write down Ephesians chapter 2, 2 verse 20. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The apostles. Peter would write in 2 Peter chapter 1, we have the word of the prophets made more certain because we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We walked with him. We touched him, not only before the cross, but after the cross, after his resurrection. So we have a Jewish Messiah. We have testimony of his resurrection. We have a sure deal, a firm foundation. And then it just gets even more fascinating. Verse 15, the angel who had talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. We're going to come back to that. You've never seen a city like this. Laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick. Some translations say high. Either way, it's a big wall. That's 200 to 250 feet by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold as pure as glass. Now, somebody came up to me last week and said, why do we need a wall? Why does God have a wall there? Obviously, they're reading ahead. And my first thought was, come back next week and I'll tell you. But I started thinking about it, and I talked with the person for a while, and then I went away that afternoon, last Sunday afternoon, thinking about it. Why do we have to have a wall? And I suggested to this person right here, standing here last week, uh, well, I think it suggests security. But it has to be more than that, because as we'll read, there's no security needed. And so as I thought deeper about it, I'm glad they asked the question, because it caused me to, to ask the question myself, why is there a wall? And I went back in my mind to Jesus' disciples, Matthew 24, verse 1, and they they call his attention to the magnificence of Herod's temple. Look at the magnificence. And it wasn't wrong to do that because what they're saying is, what they're saying is, this is magnificent and this is God's house and this is dedicated to God, the God we love and serve. And yet Jesus said, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another. And as much as that was a temple for the Lord and dedicated to the Lord, it was temporary. 70 AD, the Romans came in, ransacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and not one stone was left on another. It suggests more than security. It suggests, just like the disciples in the earthly temple of Herod that he built for God. Well, he built it for political reasons, but it was dedicated to the Lord. And here's the word I came up with as I thought deeper about it. It suggests magnificence. That's what the disciples were thinking when they said to Jesus, look at this, look at the buildings and look at this and this is God's place. It's magnificent. Verse 19, the foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, second sapphire, third chalcedony, fourth emerald, fifth sardonyx, sixth cornelian, seventh chrysolite, eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, tenth chrysoprase, eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. It's absolutely, unbelievably beautiful. 
And let me go back. As the angel measures it, it's 12,000 stadia in length, as wide and high as it is long. It's a cube city. Let me help you with the dimensions. New York to London, 1,400 miles. That's 12,000 stadia. I appreciate that because we just came back from London. Eight and a half hours over, nine and a half hours back on a very fast plane. It's a long way. All right, let me give you another one. New York to Houston. Uh, Let me help you a little more. It's the size of the moon cubed. And here's the question. Why is it a cube? There's some clues. Uh, For example, Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Like the angels. What are the angels like? Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. Jacob has a dream which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending. Add some other scriptures to tell us without question that angels are fast. They can fly. And here's what I'm convinced of based on those scriptures and the text we're looking at today. 1,400 miles up, 1,400 miles across. It's a cube. You don't get it yet. Come on. You can go up. You can go down. And you can go from side to side. And you may be going to side to side 700 miles up. We'll be like the angels. Now, I had a little too much time to think about it. And so as I'm thinking deeply about this, I thought, do we just naturally learn how to navigate? Do we just naturally learn how to be like the angels and swoosh here and there? Or are there lessons in heaven? I don't know. Oh, when's your lesson? Uh, it's more 9 a.m. Wait a minute, there's no time. Oh, I don't know how that works. <laughs> but but hey, we're going to be like the angels. And this is the capital of the new heaven and the new earth. And as I see it, it's the bridge between the new earth and the new heaven. And we can go up. We can go down. We can go side to side. We can visit the new heavens. We can visit the new earth. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And then, if you have one of those stickers, salt life, you'll appreciate the next verse. Verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each made of a single pearl. The oysters, the oysters, they've got to be just mind-blowing. The great street of the city, Main Street, was of pure gold, like transparent glass. John says, verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. There'll be distinction. We won't all look alike. It'll all be glorious. But there'll be distinction. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there'll be no night there. Goodbye, daylight savings time. (laughs) The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. 
Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now look, the clock I look at in the back that gives me an indication on when I should stop talking says 11.57. We try to end um, by 12.15. I'll try to do that, but since I have more time, can we read a little more? I mean, look at chapter 22. This is just great stuff, man. Look at chapter 22. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. The fountain of youth has been discovered. It's right here. Clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, perpetually fresh. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there there be any curse. Pause. That's a good one. You don't have to read very far in the Bible. God creates Genesis chapter 1. And then the first marriage, Adam and Eve. And God presides over the ceremony. They're in paradise. But before Eve could conceive her first child, they blew it. They blew it. And Genesis chapter 3, that early on is just an ongoing record of here's what's going to change now. And what changed? Because now there's a curse. And now, Eve, your desire will be for your husband. You're going to look to act independently. And he will rule over you. You're going to feel like a doormat because he's going to treat you like one. And now by the sweat of man's brow will he go about his work. Which tells us that before the curse, Adam... When he went to work, you say, Adam went to work every day. You read the story. You read the record. God put him, the man, even before the woman is on the scene, to work the garden. That's what it says. He went to work every day, but there was no sweat. It was no nine to five, I hate this job. You know, you can take this job and shove it. There was none of that. Every day he worked, he worked and he served and he fellowshiped with God. Now, now. He works by the sweat of his brow. Now there's toil. The rose was there before the curse, but now the rose has a thorn. Now all the issues and all the challenges. It's kind of how we started in our text, wasn't it? Paul says right now, here's the challenges. But we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, what is unseen. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They'll not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Last verse for today. Look at it. Verse 6. Then the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. That's the second time God said that to John. You go back to Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new, exclamation point. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now he says it again. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. It's coming. So why does he have to tell John twice? These words are trustworthy and true. 
We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience, and thanks for tuning in today. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of The Living Word? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and open their hearts to the truth of His Word. Please pray also for us. We want to continue following God's plans for this program, no matter where He asks us to go. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to The Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality messages possible so as to not distract from the Word. That does incur some costs, however. So if you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Any amount is used for this ministry and is greatly appreciated. Thanks for praying about this. While you're at our website, you'll be able to listen to additional teachings from this series in Revelation, as well as learn more about the Living Word. That website once more is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We pray God continues to bless you as you study His Word and open your heart to His love and grace. Thanks for listening today to The Living Word.